A few weeks ago, Mark, Elise, and I were exiting a musical in New York City. When we walked out of the theater, I said, I have never experienced a show like this. In some respects, it felt like worship. It changed how I saw the people lining up to get their tickets, how I viewed the crowds in Times Square, and my heart was moved with compassion as I passed several men sleeping on the sidewalk, one of whom was in a cardboard box. I was seeing them through the eyes of love, just as I imagined Peter and John did for this lame man that we read about today. Our family had wanted to see this show for a long time. Our 16-year-old Elise is very involved with musical theater, and we'd heard rave reviews. The musical was Come From Away. Each of us here in this room have our stories about 9-11 and how we were changed by that unspeakable tragedy of so many innocent lives lost. And as a nation, our sense of safety was shattered. That is the backdrop for the musical. I found myself weeping throughout the show, not really because of the tragedy that was a part of it, but from the goodness of humanity that overwhelmed the loss, the fear, the shock, and the grief for those 7,000 passengers stranded in small towns on the little island of Newfoundland for five days. While faith and a hymn in Saint Francis of Assisi, by St. Francis of Assisi are part of the story, the one vignette I want to mention to you is about a frightened African couple who spoke no English and were afraid to get off a bus. And the wise Canadian bus driver saw the wife clutching her Bible, and he realized that if he could follow the notations, he could point to the right verse to her. So he motioned for the Bible. He opened it to Philippians 4.6. Pointing at it, he handed it back to her. And it reads in our language, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. As you might imagine, upon reading this, the family now were willing to depart the bus. I love that resourceful bus driver. It also shows the power of Bible memorization. <laughs> if it's on our hard drive, God can use it for others. In some ways, on our dark days, we are all that woman, clinging to what is familiar and our faith, terrified about what the next moment might bring. We feel frozen in fear and shame and grief. We need a kind soul to come along and to point us to the power of God and the power of God's word. So too are we spiritually like the crippled man in this Acts story. The woman needed God's word to get off the bus, and this man needed God's word to be restored to community and to physical healing. Let's take a look together at this miracle, the gospel demonstrated that we find in verses 1 through 7 of Acts 3. As you hear them again, as I read them to you, what I want you to do this time is really try to imagine the scene in your mind's eye. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. 
And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. As we hear that story a second time, I wonder if you noticed how the community around this lame man brought him there. There were people in his life that, despite his condition, were willing to help him get to where he needed to be. And then we know that he spent daily his life, his function and purpose in asking and begging for others' kindness. He was on the lowest rung of society, day after day begging for alms, which is money or food given to the poor. What was his life like to have been, as we're told, born lame? Well, he never got to run or play or get somewhere on his own. He was dependent all his life. And while we may not be physically lame, Scripture tells us we are all crippled by sin in our hearts. In some area of each of our lives or for someone we love, we are waiting on a miracle. Imagine this man's position. He was on the ground as he was seated there, and these men, Peter and John, are walking by him. So he's down below them, and both Peter and John fixed their gaze on him, and Peter says those three words to him, look at us. How often do we make eye contact with people begging? His posture may have been something like this, hands outstretched, head down, just hoping something's coming. With the words, look at us, he would have to do something radical he would have to lift his head up and look at the eyes above him. That act alone of being seen restored something of his dignity and his humanity. I know from counseling that we always knew when somebody was feeling shame because they looked down and they had trouble making eye contact. And part of the healing came as people were able to raise their eyes up and look in someone else's eyes. And it doesn't just happen in counseling, it happens everywhere, where somebody can meet someone else's eyes, especially in a moment of pain or shame, and instead of seeing judgment or condemnation, they see love, and they see sorrow with, and they see kindness. This man's healing is already underway by seeing and being seen. And regardless of how well we know someone, have you noticed that when you make eye contact with them, a connection happens? When I used to work in the nursing homes, we would tell interns, it's really basic, your job here. You want to look in people's eyes, you want to listen, and if they'll let you hold their hand. And those three things will communicate the power of your presence and also of God's love coming through you. We all can be ambassadors of grace. It's very easy. Well, full physical healing happens for this man in the name of Jesus. We see that Peter had confidence and faith that Jesus was healer. 
And we join with the crippled man in his surprise. He's expecting alms, and instead he's fully restored. So we love his response. Did you hear that part? Not only is this man able to stand, now he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. He's also clinging to Peter and John. I can imagine him kind of in a bear hug, grabbing both of them. You know, he's so excited. Um, Celebrating with abandon and joy. And I know there are many stories here at Stanwich that I've heard from many of you of miraculous healings and recoveries, well-timed interventions and outcomes that make no sense to the medical teams working with you. And while we can celebrate with him and with the crowd when that healing comes, we also know that that is not always the outcome. Maybe you or I have prayed for a healing which has not yet come. We might even wonder if God is powerless or uncaring. Well, we know that Jesus, during his ministry, walked through that beautiful gate countless times. Can you imagine for the beggar what that must have been like? He likely heard there's a faith healer in town who's passing by. But for that lame man, he probably thought, well, Jesus doesn't see me. He doesn't care enough to stop to heal me. The lame man is waiting and waiting and waiting every day for others' kindness or for God's blessing. Maybe he felt he missed his opportunity for a healing when he heard Jesus had been crucified. And we can imagine that weight of disappointment. Some of us may have that even today. God's plan to heal this man came three or four years after Jesus started healing others. For us, God's healing may not happen in the time frame that we think or in the way that we hope is obvious. But something always happens in the heavenly realm when we pray. For this beggar, it was clear he wasn't expecting a healing on that day with Peter and John. But God had bigger things in mind, not just for him, but for all those people that were about to hear the gospel. So often we're willing to settle for far less than what God has in store for us. We'll take just enough faith, just enough Jesus. But God wants to do more in our lives than we can even ask or imagine. God sees us and longs to restore us in ways we might not expect. Peter and John knew what they had. They had power in the name of Jesus. And something happened when this man was healed. The miracle caused the people around him to be full of wonder, to be amazed, and to be utterly astounded. They knew this man. They recognized him, despite the fact he had never walked, and now he was walking and leaping and praising God. And I wonder if any of them said, wait a minute, I knew that guy growing up. He wasn't like that in Torah school. They were now curious, how did this happen? Once the love of God was demonstrated, Peter had the opportunity to proclaim the good news and the gospel about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter says, here is God, and here is what he does. He said, the God of our fathers glorified Jesus, but you delivered, denied, and killed him. And if you read on further in chapter 3, you find out when we're convicted, there's an invitation to repentance to receive Jesus and to be blessed. Well, this miracle points to the purpose for God's healing work. It's to testify 
to tell people what Jesus does and who Jesus is. We see that with a garrison man who's freed up and he goes to his town and he tells everybody, you've got to come and see this man who's healed me. The gospel is preached. At Stanwich, we know miracles are happen. We know they're real, but we also have a theology of suffering because there's a tension in the scriptures. Miracles, signs, and wonders do happen, but we also know God is not a puppet on a string to do our bidding. God does not remove all suffering and the consequences of living in a fallen world. He permits evil, violence, illness, and death. Yet, in it, he comes to us and we know him more intimately through the process. He is capable of repurposing, transforming, and working through our suffering. So if I'm crippled, how can I stand and walk? If there's something in me that feels spiritually crippled, well, the good news is, just like for the lame man, for us, there is power in the name of Jesus. The power in the name When we talk about that, the name expresses or contains the power and presence of that person. It's a stand-in or substitute for who they are. You may remember Nathan preaching about Yahweh and how that name had power in the same way. Let's look together at verse 16, just to hear a little bit more about this name that healed the man. Peter says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. We have a new identity. God's redeemed and beloved children because of Jesus' powerful name and his finished work on the cross. We are that beggar in need of God's healing touch and grace. We are that woman on the bus who needs God's word to heal our anxiety. And in our lives, we have a choice to look up or to stay in shame. And as we look up to God, we are seeing others and allowing people to see Jesus in us. One thing is left to look up. He's here right now with us. And I've asked Lauren and the praise team to come forward to sing a song to us about this invitation to look into our Lord's eyes of love and restoration. And as they do, I will say a prayer for us. Loving Lord, shift our eyes upward to see your face, to see you at work and to expect you to show up in our stories and in others as well. Help us trust in you, whatever suffering we encounter. You took on our sins and infirmities that we might receive your grace. Help us receive our new identity in you for your kingdom to be restored as it is in heaven here on earth. May we have confidence in your name and the truth of your gospel. In the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.
Pastor Heather said something a moment ago in her sermon that I hope didn't slip by us. She said that all of us, because of sin, are crippled. It'd be easy for us to hear a story like the crippled beggar in Acts and think, I have nothing in common with that man. But if the word is true, and I believe that it is, sin has broken something in all of us. So as we come to the communion table looking for God's healing for us, we must acknowledge our own sinfulness. So I invite you to pray this prayer of confession with me and pray it from your heart. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. In the book of Isaiah, it says that all of us are like sheep who have gone astray each one turning to his or her own way. But it also says that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. That's the exchange that God has given us in Jesus. By the wounds he endured on the cross, 
we are healed and forgiven. So after confessing our sins, now it's my delight to tell you the good news of the gospel, that we all are forgiven in Jesus' name. And I remind you of what it says in Scripture as well, that on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that just as you've been so present in our worship this morning, I pray that you'd be present in this meal as well. I pray that you would teach our hearts how to look up, how to look you in the eye, to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, the author of life, the one whose name heals. And whatever kind of healing is needed throughout this sanctuary this morning, whether it's something like a shoulder injury physically or the healing of a broken heart from a broken relationship. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and through this meal apply your healing presence and power to all of us who seek it. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In a moment, there will be communion stations throughout the sanctuary. The ushers will invite you to come to one of those stations. And there will be two servers at each station. The first server will hold bread, and if you need gluten-free bread, just tell that to the server. And the second server will hold two cups. You can take your bread and dip in the one cup or drink from the other, whatever is your tradition or your preference. You'll also notice prayer teams beyond those communion stations. These are people who are trained just to pray with you and for you. They'll just take your request and bring it right to God. Those prayer teams are confidential, so please approach them with anything that's on your heart or your mind. I invite the servers to come forward at this time.